Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I just got back from a five-day trip to Vegas for a Blackjack boot camp. And while I was there, I was able to meet up with a few different uh, pro and uh, part-time advantage players to do some podcast interviews. And the first of which is with Nubs1981 and LEC. They are high stakes uh, blackjack players on a team. And there, there are a couple things that really stuck with me from this interview. One is that they're doing a lot of the exact same stuff I was doing, you know, almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago, just high stakes blackjack card counting for really good, decent profits. The other thing that stuck with me is how the game has changed, that they're finding new and innovative ways to get in the hours, to you know be profitable, to deal with all the heat and the you know countermeasures from casinos, that as the casinos get smarter, so do the advantage players. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Nubs and LEC and special guest co-host SD1. Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I am here with Nubs1981 and LEC and special guest co-host SD1. How's it going, guys? Good. How you doing? Good. So if you don't know, that was Nubs, and uh, you want to introduce yourself, LEC? Yep. Good. Glad to be here. And who are you? What's up? SD1. <laughs> awesome. So uh, we're here in Vegas do, putting on boot camp, and... Um, these three gentlemen were kind enough to join me to do this podcast interview and hear a bit of uh, Nubs and LEC's story. So let's start out at the beginning. Uh, Nubs, you, you got into Advantage Play before LEC. How'd you get into it? Yeah, um, my wife was planning a trip to Vegas. So I said, well, I should probably learn how to play something so I don't lose my shirt. And I was watching the MIT documentary and I watched that and I had Noticed that counting cards really wasn't that hard or it didn't seem to be that hard, you know, add and subtract one, I could do that. So uh, that's what ultimately got, got me into it. And my first Vegas trip, I went out there with $500, I green chipped, I turned it into a thousand and I thought I thought it was the cat's ass. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, the rest is history? Well, I mean, that's, that's how I started. And then I realized, wait a minute, I really don't know what I'm doing. and um, I went to look up the MIT documentary again. That's when I saw the Holy Rollers documentary. And uh, I wasn't going to watch it, but I was like, eh, I'll watch it. And I watched that, and then I realized, I'm like, wow, there's a lot to this. So then I uh, eventually signed up with the membership. That was, I think, 2016. Uh, did that, practiced for like a year. Had 250 hours of track play, thought I was really good. Then I decided to go to the boot camp, and I found out I really wasn't that good. Okay. And uh, what about you, LEC? How did you get into this? Uh, like a lot of people, I watched 21, the movie, with my dad. I was young. I was probably like 13. And afterwards, I asked my dad if he knew how to play blackjack, and he said he did. And so he pulled out a single deck and started dealing to me. He had no idea how to play. All he knew, all he knew was hit or stay. There was no, no doubling, no splitting, nothing. But I was always interested in it, and I bought the DVD and would watch it every few years. And then, I don't drink or smoke or anything. So when I turned 21, I was like, oh, the only thing to do is go to the casino, I guess. And I had this idea that I'd go play blackjack, and the tables intimidated me beyond anything, and I wouldn't play. So maybe like 
a few times I, I had gone a handful of times and brought like $20 and oh. never really done anything with it. But one of those times I did end up playing blackjack and lost my 40 bucks instantly. And when I went back to work, some of the guys there asked me if I knew the book referring to basic strategy, which I started to learn. And then one of the times leaving the casino, I said to my best friend, I was like, you know, you think that card counting stuff works? And I was like, Google it, Google it. Cause I'm driving. And so he looks it up and the first thing that comes up is blackjack apprenticeship. So we sign up for the mini course on the way home and like set up the phone so we can both watch oh, wow. it while I'm driving. <laughs> and on the way home, I'm like, let's go get a deck of cards. And then it was all over from there. So, so we started, we tried learning how to count through a deck like that night. And then I got the membership and he kind of, he continued to just be a degenerate gambler. But oh, okay. I, I took it and ran with it. And uh, where did things go from there? At what point did you guys meet? And, uh, you know, going from maybe some initial training to you both came to a boot camp. Uh, Nubs, you came in 2018? 20, I think it was November of 2017. 17, okay. And then I was 2000. 18? Yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe so, 19. Before that, I want to know, did your dad reference the book when he got out the deck of cards? Did he say the book says to do this? No, absolutely not. What does he think now? He actually, he for a little while, he had some strategy charts and was learning and learning to count. And he just never has picked it up and really run with it. But yeah. he gave me a couple thousand bucks in the beginning and I doubled it and gave it back to him. And he wants to learn. I just think yeah. he doesn't have the time for it. So did you tell him he had no idea what he was doing when he first showed you? <laughs> no, I didn't have the, I didn't have the, I didn't have the heart to tell him, but I think eventually he might learn and come cool. out and give it a try. Cool. So yeah, where, where things go from there? You each came to a separate boot camp. Um, we, we were both in town. There was a couple blackjack related things going on in town. I was actually out, with my team. I don't know if you were on a solo trip or what you were doing. I was basically solo trip. There was one of those parties that I got the invite to and I I was in the middle of this like horrific losing streak and I just felt like I needed to come see some people uh -huh. and play some double deck. And so I came out on my own and was basically playing alone all weekend, but we both happened to be downtown at the same time. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I ended up getting a, a room for another AP and as a trade-off, he was my chauffeur for the weekend. Uh -huh. And he, he's the one that knew you. I don't want to mention names. Yeah. But he's the one that knew you, and, and he ultimately introduced us to each other in downtown Vegas. So you said team. <laughs> what, how did that happen? Um, that's, I don't know. That's, that's always been my thought behind Blackjack in general is that one is good and more is better. But that's not always the case. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I just see it as a long-term business venture. That's the way I look at it. And how did, uh, when did you form a team from when you initially started playing? Um, early on, I tried to form a team. There's been some, some hiccups or bumps along the way. I think it was around 2018, 2019 is when we really had a good structured business plan in place. And uh, that's when we started picking up some outside investors. We picked up players along the way. Some, some players just wanted to be spotters. They didn't want to uh, spread. And it just slowly grew from there. You know, it's, if you're successful, you bring people in. Yeah. And if you're unsuccessful, unfortunately, nobody ever hears about those teams. <laughs> 
So uh, you kind of, you didn't, you do a team full time or? I, I consider all my hours team hours is, is how I consider them. But, but you still have a day job, I guess. Yeah, I, I have a pretty good day job and I'm kind of locked into it because I have a pension retirement that is massive EV that I can't walk <laughs> away from. That's awesome. That's, that's uh, good that you see it that way and, you know. Um, but you're growing this team on the side, uh, and you guys meet and, and strike it off or how did, how did that come about? I think we had met and just talked on and off cause we live a few hours away from each other. And at some point in my time of playing, I had hit about 400 hours and was break even wow. and was really beginning to doubt my play. And I had nubs test me out and we had had little talks about me potentially joining the team as a player and he dealt to me and I, I ultimately passed this test because even though I was 400 hours break even, he offered me team funds to go play that day. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, at that point it was, it was somewhat officially unofficial, I guess. And then from there I've been playing with him. Yeah. I mean, anybody that's gone to a boot camp or done some dealing sessions or training sessions, you deal to somebody for an hour or two, you, you know, if they have a positive game or not. Yeah. You know, and it was it was plain as day that he had a positive game. So, I mean, with your other job. Um, so how many hours do you typically put in as a, a part timer, quote unquote, as a part time AP? Yeah. Um, since 2016, I'm closing in on 2000 hours. OK. So wow. Whatever that comes out to that. That's not all blackjack. Some of it is some really low EV, simple stuff. That's because my local is. 10 minutes from my house. Sure. So I'd, I'd like to get more blackjack hours in, but that's becoming more and more difficult. Locally. Locally and pretty much, well, locally and in Vegas. It's pretty sweaty out here, <laughs> at least from what I'm used to. Yeah. So, uh, LEC, I'm, I'm curious how blackjack has changed from you going from, I mean, it was a smaller bankroll on your own um, and putting in those 400 hours to playing a larger bankroll as part of a team. Yeah, I mean, when I started, I had a $3,000 bankroll, top bet, two hands of 30, eventually became two hands of 50, 100, 150. And essentially my first trip with the team, I doubled my stakes overnight, was betting up to two hands of 300. And then in those last probably, I don't know, 100, 150 hours, since the 400 hour point, I've been like exclusively black chipping mm -hmm. and it's, it's quite a change. Did that jump make you nervous at all initially, especially because it's team funds? Actually, no. I felt a little better knowing that there are other people out there playing. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to hit our long term and make money. And even if I'm having a losing weekend, like I am right now, the other guys are doing well. Yeah. And we're going to come out ahead. And I felt better knowing that there was a bigger buffer behind my potential ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people try to have this binary answer, what's better, a team or playing on your own? And it, it's like, there's pros and cons to either, you know? If you're on a team and, and it's a lot of dead weight, then you're way better off on your own. Or if you've got the, uh, the bankroll, the motivation, everything, then, you know, but I've always enjoyed being a part of a team because of what you just described, where 
Um, they're in it with me if they trust my level of play, which they probably shouldn't have early on. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if they do, then, you know, then I've got other people I'm in it with, the highs and the lows and, and all that. So it seems like it's been, been a good fit. But it, you also had bet up to, you said two by 150 on your own. So. Yeah, I'd done two into 200 once. And that was the next session I got half shoot at my local. Uh -huh. So I'd been doing two hands of 150 at my local casino for a long time and then did two hands of 200. Basically, in the span of a week, I did two hands of 200. My lifetime win exceeded 10K, and I won like $2,000 several times in a row. Then I got half shoot. So it's like all within like four days. So when you joined the team, were you in the positive for your career at that point? Maybe a little. I was basically at that 400-hour break-even mark. So I'm curious. Have you adjusted your chart for just units? I have not. I okay. should, though. Because I think that would be really interesting. Um, you know, if... If you're even, but you kept increasing your betting, you're probably actually up in terms of yeah, units. Most likely. I mean, because we're talking about a five to seven X jump in, in top bet yeah. from two spots of 30 to two spots of 150 or 200. Um, it doesn't take a lot. You know, you could lose a, a, a fifth as much yeah. and lose the same amount of dollars. Yeah. Well, uh, do that with your chart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mess with that at home. Uh, there was one time a trip where Ben and I were in Vegas and we lost over a hundred thousand. And I think I've told this story before, but at the same time, a trainee was playing back home and he won the same number of units, but it was like $5,000. Oh yeah. But, but I did the math and it was like, oh, we just lost, you know, cause we're betting two spots of, I don't know, 1500 or whatever. And he's betting a $25 unit. And it was just like, man, that. That sucks. That sucks. But whatever. What are you gonna do? Anyway, let's let's move on. Um, do you have any questions about the the team stuff? No, I think with the team with you guys. I, whenever I hear an opinion on team as as opposed to lone wolf, because I was a lone wolf, I was never part of a team. Um, I think the predominant choice that you go with, you tend to lean to. Yeah, I think this is better. But you were a lone wolf. Yep, I, the majority of my time. Yeah, and now you're on a team. So yeah. for your personality, you think you like the team more? I think each has its ups and downs. Yeah. I, I like being on the team. I like being able to have somebody to call when I get crushed. And Although I was doing that all the time anyway because I was 400 hours break even on my own. Right. So it's calling everybody that would listen. But yeah. And was you, it, it was just... You said that you pretty much always kind of wanted the team mentality and you considered all your hours. But so you have no, I mean, maybe in the beginning you played a little bit on your own, but basically you've been like team man. Yeah, I've always wanted, I've always wanted to be a team because it's, uh, you know, I just, I just, from a business perspective, I just see that as long term better than being solo. Now, that may or may not be true. You also have to look at, uh, if you're where we're playing in our market, I won't say where, but in our market, unless you have uh, at least 50,000, probably realistically a hundred thousand, I really don't think you have a chance. I mean, the, the games in our market for a good game with good pen, you're looking at a $50 minimum or a hundred dollar minimum. And uh, for a newer AP, most of them are coming in probably not with that kind of bankroll. And if they're red chipping in the same market, it's more than likely eight deck hit 17 with two cut off. Yeah, that's that's a really good point you bring up. I 
was fortunate. I started with a 50K bankroll, so yeah. my price of admission for particular games in the mid in the Midwest region and some other regions was um, I could play the good games still. Mm. That's a really good point that you bring up. That, that is, uh, that's interesting because um, we were talking yesterday at the boot camp about, you know, at different bankroll sizes, what are the things that, you know, you're trying to think through in terms of a bet spread. And there's a lot of people that are like, oh, with a team, we can bet more. But if it it's at the same game and you're splitting the money multiple ways, it doesn't mean you're actually making any more individually. But if it actually opens you up to new markets yeah. or in your situation, the local market kind of demands a certain bankroll size, that's a really good reason to consider teaming up. Actually, how many hours do you have um, before you were playing as any part of a team, Nubs? I, I wouldn't know exactly without looking at, at my data, but maybe 100 hours. Oh, okay. Solo. I, I thought it was more than that, but... I, I mean, somewhere between 100 and 250. Yeah. It was somewhere in there. I know my boot camp was at the 250-hour mark, and I was already playing with other people at that point. Yeah. Um, so somewhere in there. I'd have, I'd have to look at my chart to know did, for sure. Did you guys test each other at all in that pre-boot camp team era? Not... <laughs> I would say no, because we, like I said, I thought we knew what we were doing. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Hey, I've been there. <laughs> okay. So you, you've actually done something I think that is incredibly unique for, um, you know, people that I've known or, or BJ members or whatever. Um, you lost local market and found a way to, <laughs> to have a new uh era at that local market you you mind telling that story yeah i, I could tell that story uh so i'll, I'll refer to this as nubs 1.0 and nubs 2.0 so uh, my local market uh i played rated there for 300 hours everybody knew who i was um all the ap's knew who i was dealers pit bosses everybody and i was backed off three times and it was, you know, every time they'd get you quicker because, you know, they have plate scanners, they have facial recognition software, um, and it all works very well because other APs have, have come there, um, you know, with clean plates, no, no uh, rating card, no nothing, and they've been backed off by name within a shoe because facial recognition. Wow. So I knew I had to, to beat that, so to speak, in order to play. Uh, I did some research. And I figured, well, I always hear people talk about playing in masks. So I looked into that. Uh, I spoke with a company in California. Uh, the owner of the company was actually very familiar with Advantage Play and wow. apparently has made these for other APs. So he knew exactly what I was up to. Um, so I priced it out. I, I ordered one. It takes about six months to get it. I got it. I was able to get a player's card in a different name. So I said, okay, that's, that's good. Uh, so I put it on, I'm looking good. I, now I'm Nubs 2.0 at this point. I have the other, the other player's card and the other name. Uh, I parked away from the casino so that they couldn't get my plates at all or recognize the car or anything like that. And now I'm walking as Nubs 2.0 towards the casino. Uh, and I walk past several of my coworkers which is just like pure dumb luck. And no these are people that I've worked with for seven, eight years, you know, they know who I am. So I walk up to them and I'm, 
I'm acting, I'm acting completely different, like Numbs 2.0. And I said, oh, hey, I worked with you. And they're like, no, you didn't. I said, yeah, I worked with you. And they're like, no. I said, don't you know who I am? And this is, you know, I'm like right in front of their face. Don't you know me? And no, we don't know who you are. Wow. So then I, I told them who I was and they're like, holy cow, that's you under there? I said, yeah, that's me under there. You must be going to the casino. Yes, I am. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I can only equate this walking in. I can only equate this to robbing a bank because now I'm literally walking into the lion's den knowing full well if I'm caught, that's it. I'm done here. Yeah. You know, I'm trespassed and I'm out of here. At least you're not going to prison. <laughs> right. Well, I already did check on that. I won't be going to prison. But uh, so I walked in. And uh, they make you pull your COVID mask down, which I had, you know, I did that, which is that's right facial recognition, scanning your face right there and the temp scanners too. So I was like, well, if I'm going to be picked off, it's going to happen right away. I was able to get through that. I meandered around for like half an hour just to see if security was going to come get me. They didn't. So then I walked over to the table, sat down, gave the player's card. They swiped it. They threw it back to me. They said, good luck, Mr. And uh, started playing. That's amazing. <laughs> I think it's realistic. The people that have seen me in it, they're like, that's no way that's you under there. Did, did you have your mask on when you were talking to these coworkers? I, I, had, my, I had my full headgear outfit on. It's, I mean, no, it's, no, I mean, uh, I mean your COVID mask. Oh, yes. I, I did have my COVID mask on at that point, yeah. Do you feel like that's a necessary part of it because of just like the mouth moving? It, it helps. With the, with the mouth moving and the covering that, um, I did talk to the, to the owner of the company that makes the masks. Yeah. Um, and apparently, if you really want to spend the money, you can fly out there, they will cast your head, and they will custom fit it to your face. Wow. And I do know one AP that has done that, and they will remain nameless. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm, I'm going to start guessing in my head, but I'm not going to ask. <laughs> Uh, so how did that work in terms of longevity? Well, that's kind of a, that's kind of a funny story because I thought I had checked off all the boxes and then uh, I realized I missed something plain as day that was really stupid. So uh, I went in and I played two times, no issues, no heat, no nothing. Yeah. And then I went in to play a third time. And, you know, I give my card as usual and I'm playing as this other person. And the pit boss swipes the card, is mid throw to throw the card back to me, stops, looks at the computer screen, looks at the card, looks at me, <laughs> turns around and goes right to the phone booth. And I'm like, all right, what did I miss? <laughs> what oh, did no. I miss? Wrong card? No, I gave him the right card. But here's the problem. I completely forgot that when you swipe the card, it pulls up your... Uh, license plate or not your license plate your uh, driver's license and then it clicked i don't look anything like the person's driver's license right like not even close and i i knew the jig was up then so i was like hmm all right i'll just carefully walk my way out of here so i did i that's I, unfortunately i think my local is burned with that yeah. setup but i know where to get more setups <laughs> <laughs> wow and other markets yeah, I wore it. I wore it again uh, at another market, and I was there with a one of my other teammates. Um, maybe I'll save that story for another day. That was a pretty good one. I think it's amazing that you tried it. 
And it's even more amazing that it worked. It's unfortunate, you know, that there's a, a glitch, but I think you've, you validated the idea. I'm not the only one doing this. Okay. There's, there's a handful. Wow. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, leave it at the, we'll leave it at that to not piss off too many people. Right. <laughs> so uh, let's shift gears. You know, you've talked on the forum, you said you get a lot of DMs about whether a boot camp is worth it or not. And this isn't to promote boot camps, but this is one of your talking points because you feel like you can, you guys have both been to one you, uh, and you can provide maybe some advice to people that are wondering. How about this? You were, uh, you started with a smaller bankroll. Yeah. If you had to do over, do you think a boot camp made sense with your bankroll size or would it have been better to try to grow your bankroll or did the networking make it pay off or I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately curious. I absolutely think it was worth it. Okay. I think the knowledge that my game was where it needed to be before I went out and started playing was necessary. And I think you can have somebody deal to you for an hour or something and you might get somewhat of a sense of if you're ready, but coming here, meeting all these people, getting dealt to time and time again, getting totally tested out, the connections that I made there have, I mean, the con main connection I made at that boot camp got me connected to Nubs and now have put me where I am. Mm -hmm. So I, had I not gone to that boot camp, I probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. So who knows what I'd be doing or if I would have, you know, maybe saved up a little bit more money or, and when I had wiped out a decent amount of it after, during one of my losing streaks, I might've just given up. Mm. Yeah, and, and my boot camp, uh, I met a good friend, uh, AP Elements. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I probably would have quit Advantage Play if it wasn't for Elements. Because I hit, I hit 500 hours and I was actually in the red. So that was, that was frustrating, but Elements had less hours and he was, you know, he was in the positive for sure. Um, so, but as far as who should or shouldn't attend, I mean, I, I think both and I were or sorry, LAC and I, um, you know, we take blackjack seriously and we want to beat it. We want to play this game long-term and anybody that's of that mindset should attend a boot camp. Um, if you're just going to be once a month on a weekend, red chipping for fun, for comps, you're there with your wife or whatever. I don't think you should go. You know, I, I think that's, uh, it's, it's not really necessary because you're not in it to make the money. You're in it for entertainment. Mm -hmm. If you're in it to make money, then boot camp is a definite. And that's uh, if if it's just entertainment. Well, not going to one is an extra three thousand dollars to buy that enter entertainment. You know, if, if it means. And I don't. I wouldn't say that. I think there's anything wrong with that. You know, if no. that's how you want counting cards to be. You know, you play a tight spread. You get comps and you take vacations with your girlfriend or wife, and that's what you want blackjack to be. Then by all means, I think that's great. And I think if I had a huge bankroll, that's probably what I'd do with it since I have a day job. But yeah. I have the means right now where I'm considering going full-time eventually. And I want to beat the game, make a bunch of money. And that's my goal. I'm loving more and more APs. like Because this is the direction I went. I, I kept a full-time job for a very long time before I went to full-time AP. And I mean, I logged what I consider full-time AP hours or by Colin's definition, what would have been on the church team. Um, but I think it's a really good way to step into to the AP world, and it's awesome. Also, on the, the boot camp thing, so 
I think your feedback is great just because whenever I'm asked, obviously I emphatically say, go to a boot camp. You need to. I agree with everything you said, Nubs. But with that small bankroll, that can be a really tough decision. Yeah. And I don't think I ever could really conceptualize that because I wasn't there. I didn't start off red chipping or, you know, just I'm older, whatever. I had the money. Um, so it's definitely a different question for me. So even with that small bankroll, you would say, do the boot camp, spend the money. It's worth its weight in gold. I mean, the hey. money that I've made from the connections I made there has exceeded my bankroll by far, not just in blackjack and some other things that I've learned and those other AP moves, I've made well over that initial bankroll investment and the bootcamp investment, it's paid for itself time and time over, even with starting on a $3,000 bankroll. So it seems like uh, it really comes down to how serious you are about advantage play, um, that if this is a casual thing, yeah, don't, don't drop, you know, three grand for it. If you're serious about it, you'll, you'll make your money back. That's, that's helpful. You know, there are some people I say, don't do it. You'll have zero bankroll if you do it, <laughs> you know, like, uh, or, or other people that I could tell they're not that serious about. It's like, well, that's why we've created, you know, membership software and, and find someone that can test you for a lot less, uh, than a bootcamp. But if you're serious about it, that's, that's good feedback for me. So moving that to the next level, Nubs, you've been, one of the more proactive people in terms of networking. Um, you know, you give back a lot. Um, how do you approach networking and, and what advice could you give to others? I, I think you should just be active on the forum. Um, you know, we, we all started out as new APs that just happened to hear of card counting and we just happened to stumble onto Blackjack Apprenticeship. And, you know, myself, SD1 and you, you know, you're, seasoned veterans with lots of experience and you have lots of connections. So how do you get from beginner rookie to seasoned veteran? It, it just starts by being active on the forum and just connecting with people. Um, you know, there was a newer guy that happened to come on the forum. He sent me a message because uh, we are going to be down in his area. Sure, yeah, we'll meet up. You know, newer guy, being a seasoned guy, well, maybe that's not going to be beneficial to me, but maybe I can help him out. Yeah. Well, it, it turned out just by sheer coincidence, this is working out vastly beneficial for the team because he's doing us a favor down there on a different AP that AP play that just happened to come up through Blackjack. Yeah. So it's, I, I just think you should be active and you should help the new people coming in because you never know what other connections that's going to lead to. Yeah, that's really good. I. When you said, you know, be active on the forums, I kind of like put two and two together. All three of you guys, at, when you got into, uh, you know, training or whatever, were very active on the forums. And there are a lot of people I, you know, I talked to on the phone and they're like, oh, you know, what, what advice do you have? And I'm like, well, you got to start networking because they're, you know, just learning everything the hard, hard way. Uh, and, and, they say, well, how do I do that? And I'm like, well, you got to be active on the forum. And like, well, you know, I read stuff, but I don't post anything. And well, then you have to, you know, you don't have to like, you know, create a post for every idea you have, but you've got to leave some comments. And I know personally, the people who I see their, their names regularly and read their comments or their posts, I feel more of a, you know, natural connection. I want to see this person succeed than somebody that I've never seen them post on the forum before. So I think that's really, really uh, good advice. Something to add to that. 
and you guys are probably getting this, when new people are coming into boot camps, you might meet them there or you connect with them. Um, I still get this from posts I had five years ago. They're like, oh, SD1, I read all your posts from yeah. like five years ago. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are starting to get that too. And like, hey, thank you for what you added. So, I mean, that that adds a lot of value to, to you know, one, passing it forward. Uh, but also, obviously, there was, like Colin said, there, there was an effort there to, to get connected to people. And, and it does work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've gotten those messages and, and two, uh, people have also sent me direct messages asking me simple questions and I'll answer it, but I also finished it with, you should also post that on the forum Yeah. because if you don't know it and you're asking me, odds are there's somebody else that doesn't know it Yeah. and maybe they just don't want to post it on the forum because they don't want to feel silly or whatever. Well, and to take it a step further, there are times where I see someone post something on the forum and in my mind, I think of the you know, answer I have and it's like an obvious answer, but then the discussion goes somewhere that I wasn't expecting and you know, I learned things quite a bit like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way or, oh, that's interesting. Their experience is different than mine. And so even if it's like, you could ask one person, but I tell people post on the forum because then you're gonna get a variety of, of answers and you'll get a more well-rounded response. And I think what you also said about how this, you know, this guy that said, hey, do you want to meet up? And then it worked out to your benefit. Yeah, there's going to be lots of times where it doesn't work out to your benefit, but you never know. And I can think to our playing days and the small group of people that that we knew. And, and uh, we might say, hey, we're going on a trip to this state. And they'd end up being able to give us some good feedback. And then conversely, we're happy to try to return the favor. So you don't know where it's going to go. And it's worth keeping those uh, opportunities open. So you guys have been able to have success with this. Um, I know one of the big things people fail at is, is the bankroll management part. What have you guys learned both from your own experience as well as from seeing other people approach uh, card counting and advantage play? I've seen, I mean, from the smaller bankroll perspective, you know, a couple of bad sessions when you have a $3,000 bankroll, you know, causes you to need to, to resize. And resizing with $3,000 really doesn't work. Yeah. So kind of when I started, my risk of ruin was around 7 to 10%. And mm -hmm. I just kind of had to accept that. Yeah. It was either I'm going to take some time, save more money, mm -hmm. and, you know, wait, or I'll get out there and start playing. And... I had had some initial success, built it up to about five, $6,000, and then wiped it out down to $2,000. And I had to resize and lots and lots of back counting. And eventually it built back up. But, you know, that, you know, you say seven to 10, and, you know, the optimist will say, oh, that's still a 90% chance I'm going to be okay. And it's like, ah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably going to be that 10%. <laughs> Even though it doesn't, you know, you don't think of it that way, but for sure. And had I not been adding to my bankroll for my day job, I would have tapped out. Mm. You know, had I just had that flat 3000, I wouldn't have made it. Are there any things that you would do differently if, or, you know, that you would say to, uh, you know, beginner LEC or not beginner, but, you know, first going into the casinos with how you approached it? Probably more back counting. I think I probably 
just due to, you know, I played Graveshift a lot and that was the only time I could get $5 tables. And I think just be out of, you know, I'm here and I, you know, I was making, I don't know, something like $12, $15 an hour and, you know, it's a 40 minute drive. And yeah. so I'm like, all right, I got to be here for four hours. And if I'm just standing around doing nothing, I'm not making any money. So mm -hmm. I'm going to sit here and play. So I might be, you know, at a small bankroll for whatever reason. I remember I was willing to play heads up, do a play all just to get, get the time in. And on that small of a bankroll, you can't do it. Yeah, yeah. And, or that and 7 I, to 10% goes up to 20. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, if I had been doing that with a $10,000 bankroll at $5 tables, that's very, very different. Yeah. Yeah, I think people don't understand how much just a little more bankroll helps with your risk going down. But also, conversely, how easy it is to overbet it. What's What's been your experience, Nubs? Well, uh, I mean, my experience has always been I'm going to play with uh, 1% or less. And that was even when I started with, with only $10,000, I was, I'm playing with 1% or less. So if, if that means I got a back count for hours on end and I'm only going to play a handful of hands and that's what I'm going to do. Um, because I do, I mean, bankroll management is probably one of the most important things. Um, there's been players that I've known over the course of the years that have done everything right, but bankroll management and they've all gone bust. Uh, one of them even went to a boot camp. Um, he received feedback from the boot camp. He fixed his game. Everything was good. And talked to him and came down. I met him. I watched him play. And I saw what he was doing. And I sat down at the table and I gave him a, you know, what are you doing look? Yeah. Because he was playing uh, a $50 minimum game with two decks cut off on a $15,000 bankroll. Yeah. Oh, splitting, uh, spreading to three hands of 500. Oh my and, gosh. And That's 10, 10 top bets. Yeah, and I pulled him <laughs> away. I don't know what the risk of ruin is. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah, it's astronomical. 80%. So I had pulled him away from the table and I was talking to him. I said, you can't be doing this. I said, you're gonna destroy your bankroll. And then once you lose your bankroll, you can have all the talent in the world, you, you can't play. Yeah. And unfortunately, he kept playing that way and he went bust. Man, it's such a bummer because, like you said, there's a talent, there's the time put into it, there's the potential. But, yeah, you, you don't protect that bankroll. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and, that's, and that's, that also goes for, you know, if you have a $100,000 or $150,000 bankroll. Um, I, I know a team that had a significant bankroll. Um, they were actually going to team up with us and we were going to form one large team. Um, we didn't exactly see eye to eye on some of the risk of ruin level that they wanted to play with versus what we wanted to play yeah. with. Uh, there was a few, uh, we didn't really like some of the pay structure set up that, that they had set up versus what we had set up. And uh, our team discussed, you know, that, that just seems like the risk of ruin is too high. Um, it seems like it's, it seems like it's going to fail in the mm -hmm. long run. And, and this was all very good, talented players. You know, I have, I would have nothing but good things to say about these players. Yeah. And, um, you know, they went their way, they played, we went our way, we played. And the last I talked to them, uh, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Unfortunately. I think people, uh, plan it all in it's it's like in a vacuum i think about this with uh economics you know uh economic downturns it's always something unexpected 
You know, no one, you could predict for all these facts, no one's predicting there's going to be a pandemic right. or, yeah. you know, or a terrorist attack or, you know, so it's always something unplanned. And so you have to not only plan in a vacuum, but for the real world that has unforeseen events, whether it's a chunk of bankroll that, that gets stolen or people underperforming or, uh, I don't know, just like, you, you don't want to expect those things to happen, but you, you got to be prepared for the unexpected or... I just feel like it, it's more, it's kind of like that 10% doesn't yeah. feel like 10% in real life. feels a lot higher than that. Well, if, uh, I mean, when, when you talk about, unfortunately, there's the unexpected things that happen. I mean, this, this trip that we're on, we thought we were going to be able to get a ton of hours because we're used to playing, you know, you show up, you play rated, you get 10 hours in rated and you just bomb away and there's no heat. And we're out here you know members told us to play xyz casinos they'll take the action <laughs> and so we go there to play and an hour later we're all backed off and we're like what happened yeah and when we heard that we're like oh an hour in vegas <laughs> great job good work <laughs> oh yeah that sounds right <laughs> so how do you guys decide whether you're going to play rated unrated and and some of those decisions i mean for me when i was playing my local casino with it being as close as it was to my house and i was there Basically, I had it set up where I would go play for about 90 minutes, four days a week. I would play for about 90 minutes before work. And I was there every day. They all knew me by name before I even got a card at that point. Wow. And so I just got the card. Yeah. And, and I was getting a ton of free food. So I figured <laughs> it was worth it at that point. Yeah. And where I was there every day, I felt like it would just be weird to not have one. And I also feel like at the stakes we play now, it's, I feel like it's necessary. You know, you're either going to go in and be betting black chips exclusively and just playing till they boot you because you're unrated or you play rated. And I personally think at that level, they're a little more tolerant in my small sample size. And there are some people that may have the complete opposite experience. It, it probably really, I wonder how much of it is market dependent. What do you think? I mean, anybody that's talked to me, I, I preach unrated play especially at high if you're black chipping like that's it's even more important to me that i'm underrated and i've played in a lot of markets but i mean this goes back to the individual's choice and i, I think that the path that you end up taking and some initial results kind of cement that in your head i never have had like any issues where i thought i got less time because i played unrated hmm. but you know Different results, different folks. I was going to say, I also feel like I haven't had problems where I've got gotten less time because they had my name or anything. And I'm yeah. I'm in OSN. I've been get I've been playing rated out here. Yeah, and you know, and I'm still getting backed off and flat bet. And sure, I, and, I think, and it's still I don't. So far, it hasn't caused any problems. I got rated at a chain that I had a card at that I'd been flat bet and databased in back in my market and I got a new card out here and it didn't connect and I got a host last night. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you weren't the only one. <laughs> yeah. Another teammate who had the same problem, same deal. So playing those stakes. And I think the, the other, you know, for the free play and other, other things you can get out of it. I think if you know how to work it, it's definitely worth it. We spent, like way more time than normal. Uh, yesterday was day one of the boot camp, and and towards the last thing is kind of this pro panel where we have about a half a dozen of you know full time pros where we 
bring up topics, but there are those ones where there could be different answers to it. And we spent way too much time talking about, yeah, rated, unrated, cash out, don't cash out, all, all this stuff. And at the end of the day, I think you're, you're right, SD1, where I don't, who, who knows? Uh, I can remember, you know, me being very cautious to not play rated somewhere where I'd, uh, you know, been backed off a similar chain or whatever. And then you hit the $10,000 mark and I'm like, well, They've been asking me for a player's card. They have my ID. I'll get it. And there's, there, you know, nothing happens. Or um, I remember Ben had been trespassed at a property and he just brought his old player's card and played one over $20,000 rated <laughs> as the person who'd been trespassed. Like, I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying you never know what's going to happen. Right. But then other times you have like a terrible experience, be, you know, because you played rated. It's, it's just really hard to know how a casino is going to react. And there's so many casinos, different shifts, different people in charge. Um, so we can try to give advice or maybe perspective, you, you know, yeah. LEC's perspective and SD1's perspective, but people want this black and white answer and doesn't yeah. seem like there is one. It's, it's, it's not, it's the same with cash out, no cash out. Everyone's going to have their own, their own thing. Personally, if you get the tap, don't cash out. That's, that's how I feel. I think that's how most people feel. I think that I would agree. Most people would say you get the tap. Just, just, just leave. Out. The yeah. best cameras are at the cage. Avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> there, you guys heard it here. Um, it, with, with rated and unrated play, um, the, the, the one part that's black and white with that whole scenario is network and gather intel. Because mm. um, there's two casinos in my market. I will tell you 100% play there unrated. And I will also tell you if you get trespassed at this one, don't go back to either of them. But if you get trespassed at this one, you can play that one. Yeah, that stuff is so valuable and, to know. Right, and the only way you're gonna know that is through networking with the local APs. The, right. There's, there's no other way to know that information. So the, maybe these casinos you're referencing now aren't the ones that you were talking about earlier, but with the uh, facial recognition, is the facial recognition connected to like OSN or is it a local, internal i believe it's internal i don't think facial recognition links up with osn i think it does with biometric bio does yeah but i don't think osn is i think like joe said yesterday osn is more like a blog <laughs> just, it really is you know they get your picture and they write a little paragraph and that's it well i guess you're i'm wondering you were saying you play at this place and you can still play the other they're not sharing that facial recognition intel between them. That one, as far as I know, that place does not use facial recognition. Okay. It 100% depends on your market and your locals. Yeah. You know, if, if you know playing rated at one, they're going to tolerate the action and, and not really look at you, then go ahead and play rated. If playing unrated is an immediate red flag, play rated. If you know playing unrated is perfectly fine and they'll tolerate it, yeah. then yeah, play unrated. And mine was more about the databases. So I actually have played rated at three properties, to your point, Dubs, that I had intel that they don't contribute to the database. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's very important. So I had no issue with that and um, still not in the databases. So that was, that was my thing. But yeah, I mean, great points about, and it goes back to that networking. Yeah, and, and even then, like, like what we were talking about earlier is the, we've all played rated back in our local market. That same chain, we all ended up playing rated out here in Vegas with new cards. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and even and, one of the P 
people on our team is a has a name that has multiple variations within it, and that AP has been backed off at one of those casinos four different times under four different names. Oh my gosh! All rated, yeah. All, ra- all rated every time. Black chip level play. Wow. That AP played somewhere in the realm of 150, 200 hours black chipping at that yeah. casino, and it wasn't until he got a host that it was oh. finally. Finally over, but the he is gonna be the death now. <laughs> it was it was something with that tier of the players club. Yeah, something happens because I hit that tier CTR and then got flat bet like all in the same trip. So, you know what can you do? So you guys have gotten into a little bit of other advantage play opportunities. Um, you know, obviously everything's super hush hush about any of that. Things come and go, you know, people know that that uh, whole carding has been a thing for many decades, but no one wants to talk about it. And, and there are beatable machines and beatable other opportunities uh, w- without getting into specifics. What kind of advice or, uh, you know, what could you share with us about other games and pros and cons? I found that um, on some of the beatable machines, you know, those are profitable. The EV isn't huge, Mm -hmm. but what I found is having blackjack play as well as other things on a card that's rated, I think personally may have bought me some longevity in some of those casinos that I was betting fairly high stakes. And then on top of that, getting free play in the form of potentially match plays as well as free slot play and Mm -hmm. then learning video poker so you can run the free slot play out at the highest possible value of what it's worth, Uh potentially finding video poker that's worth 99.95%. If not, some some games are over 100%. Mm -hmm. And if you learn those games and then can run that free play out on those games, you're getting the complete value of it. And I think that that's huge. So I took the time to learn video poker, you know, only a couple of games because I'm I'm boring and I think video poker is boring, but I learned it. Sorry, Bob Dancer. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry about Super, super exciting stuff. <laughs> but I learned that for the specific reason of when I'm doing machine-based things and I get free slot play, I'm going to get the full value out yes. of it instead of taking a free bet to the, the roulette table or blackjack table and just getting 50% or whatever it, the EV is on it. Yes. So two, two thoughts that brings to mind for me. One is I've been preaching this for, for years. You know, if you're going to get some sort of free play, eke out as much EV out of that as you, you know, can in the same way we do at the blackjack tables. Whereas a lot of people, it's like, oh, I have this free play. It's, it's kind of like, I don't have to think about EV with this. It's free. It's, it's bonus money. But, you know, we don't, we don't want to approach any game that way. The other is these other things. I think there's this thought that there's the, the new secret way to make money. But I mean, when we were counting cards full time, we had friends that were like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting into exclusively video poker or I'm getting into exclusively hole carding or side bets or what, like, you know, I'm talking 15 years ago or, or further. Um, it really is just, do you want to add more tools to your repertoire or do you want to stick with, you know, being an ex- a sniper, you know, an expert at one, one skill? I also think it's great to have multiple things in my pocket because sometimes when I'm out there, getting crushed at the tables. It's nice to know I can go do something else for a half hour, yeah. cool off, yeah. go do whatever I got to do, make my way back. I don't have to just go sit in the bathroom and cry <laughs> and like gather myself to go back out and yeah. play. I can take some time off and still be making making money, generating EV. Mm-hmm. 
through these other opportunities that are already there. Is that EV part of the team still? Uh, so the way it's structured, that bonus EV, if if I'm if it's in my name and I'm running it out, I put it in for the team as team results. Uh, it's worked out with the other players. I've told them, you played rated, you took the risk. You know, if you get free play or something else that's associated, that's your money. You do with it what you want. You know, uh, as far as since I ran a team, really the way to think about it is uh, how are you going to bake it into the pay structure? You know, because it's like, oh, well, the players should always get this or no, the team should always get this. Well, you're just going to have to adjust the pay one way or the other. If the players get more of the, the perks, the free play and the comps, well, then they're probably going to get paid a little bit less, you know, for their cut. Or if the team keeps all of it, then those players also get more of the... So the, I guess my point is there's no right answer. It's just going to determine the pay structure and what motivates everybody. I think that's the one concern, uh, you know, is when someone is able to get quite a bit of value outside of something that benefits the team, you got to have a strong group of people that care about the team or else, you know, it can divulge into... No, I know of teams where nobody's playing for the team because, you know, they're doing the thing that directly benefits them immediately. And, and that could be a bummer. Well, we're, we're all everybody that's actively playing on the team is also an active investor. That's great. So it, what's good for the individual is also good for the group. Yeah, no, that's that's brilliant. And that, I would always encourage that or desire that for the church team. It wasn't always realistic. And, you know, we had people that were super high character, high value that just didn't want to invest. And so we're okay with it, but I much prefer people investing. So I want to go back to these other players. You, were, you Nubs mentioned there can be some, maybe some traps to. Yeah, well with, with these other plays, uh, so unfortunately I'm stuck doing these other plays at my local. Um, it's good if you have a small bankroll, these other plays are good. The, the EV is low, but the risk and the variance is relatively low. Uh, there's no heat associated with it, but at the same time, maybe you're making 15 bucks an hour. And if you got a six figure bankroll, do I really want to make 15 bucks an hour? Yeah. And on top of that, you're making 15 bucks an hour doing these other low EV plays and you look over at the blackjack tables and there's six of them empty and you're like, there's $400 an hour at each one of those tables and I can't play. Yeah. <laughs> it's really annoying. Um, but I also think, uh, some APs that are into blackjack, they'll start playing some of these other plays and then they'll just start taking the money from it and they won't reinvest it into the bankroll. Mm -hmm. And long term, if you keep reinvesting into the bankroll, the EV on blackjack is gonna blow these other plays right out of the water. It's, it's not even gonna be close. Like, like on the trip out here, I haven't even looked at these other plays. It's Don't. all I want to do is all I want to do is blackjack out here. That's it. I'm not even going to bother with other plays. Well, it's interesting. You're at least saying, hey, if you uh, have the bankroll for it, you've got more options. You know, um, if you get uh, like caught up in low EV and, and just spending it, mean, it's probably the same same with blackjack. You know, if you can afford to grow a bankroll, it's going to uh, open up a lot more opportunities. And I know there are high there can be high value other plays, you know, um, but, but, uh, blackjack still a high value play, high variance, high value, <laughs> high variance, high, high variance. Value. Speaking of, <laughs> you guys have, have both as have I, as, as SD one, all four of us have had losing streaks. 
uh, and I'll define a losing streak as a gap between all-time highs. Um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you're losing every session, but we, we've all had gaps between all-time highs of in the couple hundred hours. Um, and that's pretty miserable. I, I guess my first question for you guys is, do you think there were any strategic decisions you would make if you had it to do over that would have perhaps limited, like a, like focusing on lower end zero games or being more patient to up your betting? I mean, yeah, that's a little bit playing scared. So maybe not that one. I guess I would just kind of agree with find games that are lower end zero. That would have been a good thing to do. If I'd had more money, you know, increasing the bet spread, even though the swings are going to be bigger, you know, shortening the end zero. But sometimes you just got to grind it out, honestly. Yeah. You know, if you, you know, you have the games that you have and you just got to play. Mm -hmm. You just got to play, put the hours in, you'll get there. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I know with my 500 hour losing streak, that's, that's not all uh, the game as a result of that. I mean, I, I had errors in my game. There's no doubt about that. Um, I wasn't getting a lot of rounds per hour because a lot of it was full tables or back counting full tables and wonging in. But that was also, I was limited by the bankroll and to keep risk down, that's what I had to do. Um, you know, and now it's, uh, you, you find a good double deck game with good penetration and good rules, or you find a good shoe game with good penetration and good rules, and you just fire away. What, what about yourself, SD1? Any changes you would have made or it just was what it was? I just think it was what it was for me. I just got destroyed, <laughs> and I just had to embrace the suck. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's, I think if you, especially like you had it in the beginning, I had it in the beginning. My first hundred hours, I was like right on par with EV, and then I spent the next hundred and sixty losing, and I wasn't back to even for the first time till I played two hundred and seventy hours, and then I finally swung up to an all-time high, down to even, all-time high, down to even, yeah. and back up to an all-time high now. Yeah. So it's it's just the game. Yeah. As as much as people don't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's reality. We want people to have to face face reality. Um, I know. You know. I I towards the end of the church team had a pretty long, uh, not so much losing, but just not not winning streak. And I wonder if you know um, that being preceded with a lot. You know, whatever six hundred. At some point, I was I was up. You know, maybe seven hundred thousand or clo close to it. And some of those profits were like, oh, I just ran hot on a really high bet spread, you know, and that I didn't was you know didn't uh, think of. Well, I might run cold, <laughs> really, really high bet spread, but but uh, that could maybe cloud some of the judgment of even just uh, maybe being comfortable with the uh, minimum bet. Like, oh, I could have been bet betting twenty five, but I bet fifty because we had the bankroll for it, and now I think like all those bets how what do those add up to over 200 hours you know like maybe a few thousand and, and be closer to uh even but I, it's it is i think probably most of it is is the game if your game's good well that's that's a, i mean you said betting 25 or 50 the minimums i mean that comes back to uh understanding ev and really understanding the concept of ev um just as an example one of the players on the forum he wanted to come to my local. Okay, I'll watch you play a few shoes at, at, at my local. And I watched him play a few shoes. I had a rough idea of what, a, what his EV was. Maybe it was 50 bucks an hour. And uh, so I watched him play a couple shoes, half hour at best, you know. And then we met up off site and he goes to give me a hundred bucks. And I was like, what are you doing? 
And he says, well, oh, I made $2,800 in that shoe. I can afford to give you $100. Oh, I man. said, no, no, you didn't. You made about $50. And he was looking at me confused. He says, no, I, I won. I'm like $2,800 up. I said, no, your EV was about $50. Yeah. If you give me $100, you just lost $50 in EV playing. So I ultimately gave him the chip back and I tried to explain, you know, EV. You can't look at your results. You have to look at EV. That's a bummer if someone doesn't understand that point. But I get people that they'll email me and say, oh, my EV is about this. But what they mean is how much I'm winning. You know, if they're winning, if they're, oh, I've been winning 50 bucks an hour. My, therefore, my EV is 50 bucks an hour. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, you have one bad day and all of a sudden, you know, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say other than <laughs> we got plenty of information to help explain this stuff. Uh, maybe, maybe they need to hear it from someone other than me. Also, just remember, it's not actually called the high-low count because you're counting high and low cards. It's actually called high-low because there's highs and there's all kinds <laughs> of lows. <laughs> Ping pong and hit A7 and I, oh, when it, whenever we were getting beat up, we would, it would always, the joke was high-low. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, th those lows can feel like they outweigh the highs, but I guess that's why we keep keep results to remind ourselves. And then when you hit that next all-time high, you completely forget how you felt like a month yeah. before. Yeah, <laughs> it's true, it's true. So we're running short on time because we do have a, a boot camp to run today, but, but there are a couple more things I want to get to. Um, how have you guys managed the whole uh, chip caching stuff? Um, actually, the my wife and the team manager is out here on the trip with us um and we've been playing and if we get backed off come get me i'm at this casino pick me up and okay what do you have for cash here's the chips give me the cash you guys deal with this later you know let let me go play somewhere else you know keep the players playing and then let the other people cash out the chips oh that's that's really efficient i like that it is yeah it's surprisingly difficult to cash out chips out here i'm definitely not used to that that kind of difficulty yeah vegas has its challenges yeah i mean at one of the casinos i was playing back in our market i was it was po it was post team i was betting two hands of five or six hundred and i had like a fifteen thousand dollar shoe and they gave me 5k chips and i was oh, like no and i was like i really don't want those could i just get yellow and they were like no and i was like okay <laughs> so i took the 5k chip and this casino was massive it had basically two casinos within it so i went i went to the other casino to check out that high limit room to try and play and break down the chips there and play longer but couldn't find anything over there so I went to the cage at this high limit room and handed the 5K chip and was ready for the fight. The guy pulled out a five strap, counted it, handed it to me. Oh, wow. No ID, nothing. He was like, yeah, here you go. Well, that is so, a, that is so that's, gonna happen I to mean, that's like what we're used to back home. You know, you just walk up, you know, maybe they ask for ID at 5,000, you know, and if you're already playing rated, which I was, it didn't matter, yeah. you know, but the guy just, you know, out here we're getting, having problems for a couple thousand bucks. It's yeah. ridiculous. I know, my, my wife goes to cash out like 2,000 in chips, it's two yellows, and they're like, well, where'd you get them? Yeah. It's like, it's got your casino name on it, and the casino is <laughs> right behind me. Where do you think I got them? <laughs> yeah, I, for Vegas, I would say avoid anything above purples. Anything yeah. above $500 chips, yeah. they're gonna want a player's card to, to tie it to, and uh, so when they you know try to color me up, oh, no, 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 don't give me yellow, or I'll start betting those, you know, and just keep purple purple and lower any uh 
just to wrap it up, any any final stories you guys have from from your uh, years on the tables? I um, have a I have a small story that's kind of funny. Just it's a testament to how cheap APs are. So <laughs> I, both my girlfriend and I are postal workers, and we work in like a, a giant like distribution warehouse. And so th- there's rubber bands everywhere. Basically, yeah. we're always rubber banding letters together and stuff. And I was getting ready to leave for a trip and I had called out of work and I realized I was going to have a significant amount of money. I think the most I'd had yet, something around 20,000. And I wanted to fold it into thousand dollar bits and then rubber band it together. Yeah. But I I couldn't find any rubber bands at at my house. So I texted my girlfriend and I'm like, Hey, will you get some rubber bands at work and meet me in the lobby and give them to me? And she was like, no, just go buy some. And I said, no, they're at work. (laughs) And you know, this went on and she eventually called me and she's like, you're being ridiculous. Just go buy some at Walmart. They're $3. And I said, absolutely not. (laughs) I was like, they're at work. They're free. I'm not going to, and I was like, well, I'll go get them. She's like, you already called out. You're going to get in trouble if you show up just to steal rubber bands and leave. I went without rubber bands. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. And then when I went back to work the next week, I grabbed a handful and brought them home and I'm still using those. Yeah, how could you buy them when you can get them for free? Exactly. <laughs> I bet they're higher quality at the postal office also over the Walmart brand, guarantee it. I bet. <laughs> you know, I uh, our mailman will leave, you know, it, I just ship all the BJ stuff from my front porch and, you know, just put a little note that says, hey, pick up the packages. And then when, when they pick up the packages, they leave all the mail with yeah. a rubber band around it, and I keep every one of those rubber <laughs> bands because you never know when you're going to have to use them for a bake roll or whatever. Yep, and that's that's how I've been keeping my money wrapped up since then is I'm going to use those rubber bands till the day I die. That's right. And I'm never going to pay for them. No, why would you? Why would you ever pay for them? What, what about you, Nubs? Um, I'd like to, if we could finish off with what happened a couple nights ago. I mean, this, I mean, this goes to something unexpected and then and then the results from that so we had a little team get together dinner at the stratosphere um you know i think it's important to take some time out uh you know actually enjoy yourself as a team the camaraderie and everything and we were joking all around about oh we should go downstairs and play because the stratosphere is super sweaty we'll get one shoe and you know and we're like oh yeah let's let's go down there we'll table bomb table bomb a table you know, no, we're all, like, we'll bomb, th- we'll bomb the one three to two double deck table that they have. All three of us, because they we could only do three to a table. Yeah, yeah, and so, so you know, we're thinking we'll get one shoe, and we're making jokes. Oh yeah, all right, we'll go, we'll go down on the high limit, and we'll bomb that table. So we have dinner, and we relax. We go downstairs, and the other teammate that's not here, we go into the high limit pit. You know, as 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 a whole team, as a group, and uh, they close the fifty dollar high limit table, and we're like, ah. Oh, man this sucks you know there goes our plan yeah so he goes out to the main floor there's a 50 dollars double deck table on the main floor and he's like oh you know i, I don't know if i want to we don't want to play 50 that's kind of high so he talks them. they change it to 25 yes <laughs> you know and we could play hundred dollar units talks them down to 25 now all three of us buy in at the double deck table like a couple grand whatever it was and uh all three of us are sitting at the table Plus we got the other guys that couldn't play and my wife and the team manager, and they're just making a scene. Oh my you know, we, we tell the pit bosses, oh, you, have you had dinner upstairs? You know, we had dinner. Oh, the drinks are really good up there. Have you had the drinks? You know, we're all acting drunk and it's okay, $25, yep, $25. And then, oh, the count's good? Boom, <laughs> table bomb, all black chips everywhere. It was basically true one, two hands of a hundred each person so you know it would hit 
true to, and there'd just be $200 on every single betting spot. <laughs> and then, and then the second it went back, back to single hand at 25. Single hand at 25. And then, so we're doing this. We got one shoe like that and we're thinking, okay, here comes the heat. Here comes the back off. Nope, not yet. But you guys went, let's play another shoe. Let's just keep going. So, so we table bombed this for about 90 minutes, no heat. The pit bosses, the dealers, they all thought we were drunk, obnoxious tourists. And, and we spread from one by 25, I think up to two by four at one point that night. Yeah, and I think we hit two hands of 400 one time. Two, two hands of 400, I think you hit a blackjack, we had a table win, we're all high-fiving, table win, table win. <laughs> the, the dealers and the pit bosses were loving it <laughs> until they called for a color-up. <laughs> and then they're like, what the heck happened here? <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. I think between all three of us, we took them for between 55 and 6,000, 6, something like that. Goes to show you never know what a casino is gonna do until you try it. Yeah, it, I mean, you'll look it up and it says sweats green action. Yeah. And we just table bond them with, with black chips all night. And the the best part is, you know, we're, we're playing and we're acting like ploppies. So uh, LEC over here playing third base, he would hit his A7 against a 10, <laughs> screw up the cards. And of course, <laughs> you know, Nye would start yelling at him, what'd you do that for? <laughs> That is one of my favorite things about being on a table with a, a teammate is that you can uh, totally throw them under the bus for their play. You know, if you're the spotter in there, the BP, like, man, that guy's an absolute ass, you know, jumping into my table. And who's you he thinking? You suck at blackjack. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, we said that a couple times. Yeah. And then you suck at blackjack till you get a blackjack. Then we're like, yeah, we're great at this team. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you guys, uh, Nubs, LEC, for, for uh, sharing your story with us. And a special thank you to SD1 for being the, the co-host. Uh, thanks, guys, for sharing your story. And if you guys have follow-up questions, um, maybe we could do a chat room or something where you guys uh, hop on and answer. If not, you can ask them in the forum. Yeah. Thanks for having us. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Like I said, I was in Vegas for a boot camp, and so I was able to do a handful of podcast interviews with different guest co-hosts and different professional or semi-professional APs. The next one is going to be out in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, if you want to ask any questions to Nubs or LEC, you can find them on the BJA forum. And uh, we're going to try to do a happy hour where they will hop on in our chat room and answer some questions for you guys. And if you haven't checked out Blackjack Apprenticeship's membership, it comes with a complete video course, training suite to learn and master card counting. It comes with betting software, a casino database, a members forum, chat room software, results tracking software, members only podcast, and more. You can check that all out at blackjackapprenticeship.com. Mm -hmm.